Hey everyone, and welcome back to In The Weeds podcast. First, I want to apologize for the gap in episodes. I know it's frustrating for listeners when they expect episodes to come out and they don't. So hopefully it's just, given the current situation, there's been difficulty getting episodes together, but I'm hoping now we can have some weekly episodes right through to the end of the year. And this week I've got James Bates, Jamie Bates, or Jay Murray, as some people know him, the co-founder of Murray Restaurants and also one of my best friends in the world. So we have lots to talk about. And uh, naturally, this is a little bit of a longer one. But, you know, with a beard lockdown too, maybe some people might have a bit more time in their hands. So if you want to, if you do in the episode want to learn anything more, you can contact Jay on Instagram at Jay Murray or myself, Fazmangos, as well on Instagram. And at the back end of the episode, you got some new music from friends of ours in NYC, the Killer Crab Men. Uh, so enjoy this one, guys. Hope everyone's staying safe. Okay, so welcome back to In The Weeds podcast. This is season two, episode five. And this week, joined by Mr. Jay Murray. <laughs> Mr. James Bates, um, co-founder of Murray Restaurants and a very close friend of mine. How are you? Yeah, good, yeah. It's a bit of a weird question to ask at the minute, isn't it, with everything that's going on in the world? But generally, generally not too bad, hanging in there. Not too bad, yeah. The, the world's a little bit upside down, isn't it, at the minute? Well, firstly, just, you know, tell us a little bit about your business and where you're at at the minute. Yeah, well, um, yeah, like as you, as you mentioned, I'm one of the co-founders of Murray, along with um, Dom and Tom. We, we opened Murray in June 2014, six and a half years ago now, um, which you'll remember well because um, we came to you for a lot of advice at the time. Um so yeah, that's where it all started, 2014. Prior to that, me, me, Dom and Tom, um, had been friends and we'd been over to Paris quite a few times. Um, really like the vibe in, in Paris, especially in the, in the Le Marais area. Yeah, lots of nice, um, cool little falafel gaffs. Um, there's a particular street, Rue de Rossier, down, um, down Paris. It's got Last Du Falafel, uh, which is a world famous falafel place. Uh, Lanny Kravitz's favorite, favorite haunts of all people. Cool. Um, there's also Miznon, which specializes in, uh, in a really good vegetables, um, sweet potatoes, broccoli, cauliflowers, just cooked whole and thrown in front of you because that the other element of Miznon is that the service is, uh, is brash, board, borderline uh, offensive. <laughs> but uh, the food's good enough that they get away with it. So there's lots of little places like that down uh, Rue de Rossier. Um, and then away from Rue de Rossier, there's lots of nice little cocktail bars. There's one yeah. called uh, Marie Celeste. Um, there is... Um, little red door, um, and then there's Candelaria, which is in the back of a little taco shop, and there's all these great little cocktail places. So me, Dom, and Tom um, spent a lot of time sort of eating falafel in the daytime, drinking cocktails at night, and then came up with the idea of, of putting them together. And um, yeah, came up with uh, what we think was probably one of the fir- world's first falafel and cocktail joints because those two words just didn't really <laughs> used to go together at all. Um, yeah, so that was probably 2013-ish that we came up with the idea. Um, and then, yeah, got ourselves open in 2014. Didn't have a clue um, what we were doing at all. Didn't know how to 
um, to close the card machine off at night. I had to come around to Santa Gepito's uh, <laughs> to see to see Brim one night, and he he told me he told me how to uh, how to Z the the card machine <laughs> if you remember. Well, I remember um, at the time we were actually next door neighbours as well. Still I remember coming back one day and he, the three were sitting on the front step, like just. I think you were close to opening then. It was all kind of coming really real for you. And, yeah, well, you know. that, so what what had happened, it's funny you should mention that day because it was, uh, that was a bit of a traumatic one. So we we were 99.99% completed on the lease. So that was in, in our solicitor's words. Um, and we were also, we had a builder lined up. He said, look, if it doesn't start on this date, then I can't do the job for you. So we were like, okay. And he said, look, we've got to put this floor down. It needed a new concrete floor. He said, we've got to put it down on, you know, the, whatever day it was. I think it was a Thursday, Friday, maybe. The floor's got to go down. Otherwise we can't do the job for you. So, um, we got the floor put down. I think we had, I think we paid four or five grand for, to put the floor down. We had the keys off the estate agent to, to measure up. That's all we were supposed to be doing. But we thought, you know, 99.999% is as good as a hundred, right? Yeah. Um, but but it wasn't. So yeah, we got a got an email that afternoon when you found us on the doorstep. <laughs> I'd actually smoked about twenty a, a chain smoked twenty cigarettes that day on the doorstep. Uh, we got an email off our solicitor in the afternoon that said, um, guys and he copied in the estate agent and said, uh, guys, we need to pull out of this deal. Something's come up at the eleventh hour. Um, yeah, pull out basically. And then the estate agent got in touch immediately and said, uh, look. If you're going to pull out, I need the keys back immediately. <laughs> um, he was carpet phone and was like, look, I need the keys back. The landlord wants the keys. Obviously, there's a there's a half-set concrete floor um, in that building and we're the only ones with the keys, so there was no chance he was getting those keys. Wow. Um, we then phoned the, 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 the solicitor straight back, got his office. Um, so he'd gone out for lunch, gone out for a boozy lunch. If anyone, ever, anyone remembers boozy lunches, the <laughs> solicitors especially used to have. Um, so yeah, he got out for lunch and, and we asked for his mobile number and she, the, the receptionist wouldn't give, give us the number. Um, and then through one of, one of my business partners, through Tom's dad, he had a contact who, who knew him anyway. We managed to get his, his mobile number, called him in the restaurant, which I don't think he was best pleased with. Um, and then we said to him, look, what is this clause? And he, and it was, it was, uh, it's a long story that won't bore you with anyway. He said, look, it's not that bad. Um, he said, you can still sign. It's absolutely fine. But I just wanted to, um, sort of put, put the, uh, put the jeepers up the estate agents a little bit. So, um, yeah, cut to cut a long story a little bit shorter. Uh, by five o'clock on that day, it was all fine. The estate agent didn't want the keys back anymore and the contract was signed. Um, before the concrete was even dry, all this had happened. So quite a, um, quite a mad start to our lives in the, in the restaurant world, really. And that's so that's six and a half years ago, yeah. You said, yeah, that was that was June. Well, we opened June, that, that was around, I guess, April ish. So, yeah, yeah, six and a half years ago. And so, now obviously, you have three sites now, and yes. how it's manifested into what it is now to what you wanted it to be. You think it's it, it happened naturally, or yeah, I think that was the that was a good thing about it, really, because we didn't come with any with much well, any experience or very many expectations, really. So, what we wanted was a place that we place where we would want to go we much wanted to create somewhere cool that we would like to go and you know you remember very well the dining scene in Liverpool in 2014 just wasn't very good was mm -hmm. it there was some notable exceptions um you know Salt House Bacaro just opened up 
Um, there was a few bits and bobs at decent restaurants, but generally speaking, the dining scene wasn't that good. And, yeah. uh, and similar to when you know when you guys opened Santa's in two thousand nine. There wasn't that many good. It's, e- it's easy to forget where we are in 2020 in terms of bars and restaurants. Hasn't always been the case, has it? No. Um, so, yeah, we just wanted to create somewhere that we would want to go and our mates would want to go. Um, you know, I left quite a well paid job in the financial services world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, which was, uh, yeah, an interesting decision frowned upon by yeah, quite a few people. But, um, yeah, primarily it was just I wanted it was a lifestyle business that I wanted. I wanted to um, serve good food, you know, being in in a nice environment every day. Um, all the all the things that I didn't get from my career in finance, really. So, <laughs> yeah, there were there were no really any grand grand ambitions. We didn't have, or we didn't even really know what a core manual was or training manual. Or um, we had nothing at all. We had no systems. It was all just based. It was all passion based, and I think that's. The charm of that sort of first six months where it was so much passion went into it. I think it's that culture is still in the business now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think all the decisions we've made to, to, to grow and, and to, you know, we, we added the basement bar last year. All the, all the investment decisions we've made have all seemed very organic. You know, when we opened in Allen, it's because so many people in South Liverpool asked us when we were going to open a restaurant there. Yeah. Um, when we opened in the Albert Dock. Um, it was it was an opportunity that was you know the landlord sort of courted us, um, offered us a really sort of once in a lifetime deal. Um, so we we've never really chased growth. It's more it's come it's come to us. Mm. Um, so the sort of it feels organic, and 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 I think when you're in the restaurants, it feels like you're. It doesn't feel like the the, the um, like when you're in some chain restaurants where maybe the, um, the the purpose of the restaurant is to is to create. Lots of money for owners who never spend any time in there. I think when you're in in Murray, people, you know, the staff really care. Oh yeah, because the three the three of us are are in the restaurants on on a daily basis, and you know that I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. And that's something obviously like that needs managing. Like you say, when things happen like that and manifest, especially even more sites you get. Yeah, keeping that keeping that independent ethos isn't it yeah and i think that is possible i think there's some good there's some good examples of, of businesses who've done it um you know locally you know yourselves for example but also if you look at the, some some businesses that have expanded nationally someone like honest burgers mm-hmm. you've got a lot of time for them as a, as a brand because they i think they've got 30 something sites now mm-hmm. like a lot of sites but um I still feel like it's it's run by humans rather than you know the word chain's a dirty word, isn't it? No one wants to no one wants to, to use that word, but you can have a group of restaurants doing a very similar thing, but have um, but yeah. still maintaining that independent spirit. Mm. It's hard, I think, when you get to that many. I know, like we did a bit of work with Oaxaca a few years ago, and they, they, they talk about how they really want that independent ethos. But I think they were at the time where. People would look at it as a brand, mm. but it's hard. It's a hard, but at the heart of it was a small team, the same. But yeah, yeah. It, very, I think once you get to a certain point, it's a whole maybe a whole another beast. There. I think a lot of it's to do with taking investment as well, yeah, isn't yeah. it? You know, and I know, and I know that, um, I know that Honest Burgers as an example, or you know, Frank and Manker, I know those those brands have had investment, but maybe they found the right the right partner. Whereas perhaps you know, I don't know much about. 
behind the scenes in Oaxaca. Maybe they did have a good partner, maybe they didn't. But I kind of feel like the the attitude towards growth, as in why are you opening this site, if the reason is because the the venture capitalist who's invested in you has demanded it, I, th- I think that's probably a bad sign. Yeah, it definitely is. I think I think you're seeing from this um, this crisis how many of them are badly set up yeah because they fall they fall quite quickly yeah even the ones that you thought were were really well run and and well managed um perhaps not built on debt um up to date obviously we're in like a very difficult period in the middle of um uh coronavirus pandemic so when this was recorded is october to 2020 um you obviously you've had to close your bold street site for now um and obviously we don't know no one knows what's going week by week. Yeah. Um how how are you finding it in just in general? You obviously took that decision, I think, to close. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a roller coaster, isn't it? I think that's the, the hardest thing with uh with with dealing with everything at the minute is the up and down nature of it. Like you say, I mean, we we're used to planning in sort of quarters or you know in even in you know what's our plan for next year now we're down to we're down to we forecast for a week but actually halfway through the week something happens mm. and then you have to so forecasts are almost completely pointless at the minute um but yeah getting back to, getting back to the original question which is coping yeah it's it, well it's difficult isn't it for everyone and everyone has, di- has, has different ways of 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 coping with things what i try not to do is lean on alcohol too much um you know when i say too much i'm not a i'm not a heavy drinker but weeks like last week for example when when you know the shit really hits the fan um i find that i'll have a glass or two of wine every night and then at the weekend a little bit more and then by when it comes to saturday or sunday i'm feeling sluggish i feel you know yeah. from, from from the booze um and then that'll then spark a week of um, a week of not not drinking anything at all. But that sort of those weeks when everything's too much, I find that I don't I don't have the ability to um, to switch off. And I'm probably a bit mm-hmm. well. I want to say probably my partner would definitely <laughs> say definitely a nightmare to to live with because you know what it's like. You're sort of consuming information all day. Your brain's sort of you know wired, isn't it? And then. Mm-hmm. Um, you get home and then this, the news is on and um, yeah, you know, it, 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 it's 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 intense. It, it's it's been an intense time, um, and I would say actually recently it's been harder than back in March in, in some ways. Yeah, um, I don't know how you found that, but mm. back in March it was sort of like you know this seismic shock, this like once in a lifetime event, or yeah. once in a, not even a lifetime, once ever event, um, and. We all stayed at home because we thought we were saving lives. We thought that we were doing the NHS. And we were, you know, we were mm-hmm. doing all that. But there was a, very much a sense of togetherness, wasn't there? Yeah. And I remember at the time speaking to my my mum, who's very uh, very much on the f- on the far left of the political spectrum. And yeah. I was sort of saying to her, look, you know, I don't think the government are doing too bad a job. And, yeah. um, you know, I even had some semi-complimentary words to say about Boris Johnson, I think. And then you look at seven, <laughs> you look seven months on mm-hmm. and... That sort of togetherness is, you know, what, what, on a national level anyway, as in a nation together, it's gone, hasn't it? It's completely evaporated. It's it's fractured. But you know what? One thing I will say that has been positive, certainly in you know, I can only speak from my my 
experience in Liverpool, but it's brought everyone together in a way that I haven't seen for a long, long time. Mm. And um, that's that's heartwarming, and it's nice to have that bit of hope and optimism because you know, going from in February we were just about to sign on a, on a new project. Um, we were two weeks away. We just got um, we just got a license, our license through, um, and two weeks later we were gonna we were gonna sign. Which you know, thankfully now we didn't. But you know, we turned we turned from a growing company in um, in, in in February March time to as you as you just said we you know we shut aside. So we we almost went from four um, where we're currently now at two and it. it yeah. Well, you're not. You're not. You, I know you're not two, though. Really. No, we're not. Two. But I get, no, no, get no. you. But, but you, you, I know you, you, you know what I mean. It's that mindset, isn't it? And and it's that momentum that you build in a company where everyone's sort mm-hmm. of really excited. That, you know what we're we doing next, and um, that's sort of gone, hasn't it? And you've, you know, we're very lucky in our in our company that we have a lot of people who really care about the company itself. Um, as uh, you know, and and we, you know, we've managed to keep pretty much everyone together through this uh, we just had one one of our head chef left um, to move to Manchester which you know with our blessing but apart from that all of you know pretty much everyone has stayed um, everyone is still committed but you sometimes you know previously you would be able to sell them the dream of the company and I still do sell them the dream of the company um, and it is still to grow in the future but it's, you know right now it's sort of like we're gonna have to, we have to take three or four steps backwards to eventually take um, the next big step forwards. Mm-hmm. So when, and like yeah, and I suppose the original question was about Bowl Street. Obviously, that was a ridiculously hard decision to make. Um, but I, you know, I think that the government could have done a lot more um, to help us in that regard because the yo-yo in the back of four, the the JSS scheme, which is you know not even worth the paper it's written mm-hmm. on compared to furlough, which actually in October. <coughs> Is also not worth it, you know. It's just not. It's too expensive to use. Um, they've sort of backed backed us into a corner where the only way that we could, um, the only way that we could afford to pay any any staff at Bowl Street in November was actually to shut the restaurant and um, and and put it into the same category as a pub or a bar. Yeah. So that's the reason that we took that decision is so that um, you know we, we'd reduce the hours that we were given out by fifty percent from. Um, September to to last week, yeah. um, even more from August. So, <laughs> you know, we, we had all these staff who we couldn't afford to pay. Um, we used a lot of holidays for other staff to to try and manage the situation, but it got to the point where we had a load of staff who we couldn't afford to pay, and and that was the only that was essentially a loophole, I guess, that that, that meant that we could uh, that we could pay some staff and, and and hopefully as well push some of the trade that we would have got at Bowl Street down to the Albert Dock. So, mm. um, very much a temporary decision, you know. Like you say, it's not down to two; it'll be back, <laughs> it'll be back yeah, open. Yeah. Um, you know, and in the meantime, we're looking at ways that we can use that space to do some um, do some cooking for the for the community and some other little bits and bobs of projects. So, keeping people busy, but. Mm. Um, but you know, having a having shut us down on a restaurant, well, it's next door to your coffee shop as well, isn't it? It doesn't look it doesn't look good, does it? It's, no, it's not it it's not a nice look for the street. You know, you've got no. you've got cafe tobacco also shut, leaf also shut yeah. on Bowl Street, and um, yeah. a, lo- a load of a load of black furniture that no one's sitting on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Like you said, the same view that the top boarded up. It looks a little bit half. Um, 
That's the word. Almost derelict. I don't know if you've if you've heard of the the broken glass theory that was that was um, used in it was in New York in the I believe it was the eighties, but I, I can't remember exactly. But the theory being that um, the underground was 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 really you know there's a lot of graffiti there, there's a lot of crime there. That it, it was um, there's a lot of criminal damage there, and the theory being that um, if you see a broken window, then you know straight away it's in your head that. Um, that it's okay to, to 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 you know carry on the criminal damage and um, and they reduce crime by by a hell of a lot but just simply by cleaning up the subway they just got rid of some graffiti they put some nice um, put some some nicer um, entrances in they just did some little tiny bits and bobs just to um, just just to inc- increase how it felt you know the feeling when you, when you got in got down onto the subway um, and and the the benefits of it were exponential. So I think relating that to Bowles Street, you know, if you got the bus into town or you came from, you know, the bombed out church end and you walked onto Bowles Street, the first thing you see now on the right hand side is a boarded up Sainsbury's and on the left hand side is a, is a closed tobacco that's been yeah. it's been there since ninety the nineteen seventies, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a, yeah. It's not um it's a strange time. But like you said, um obviously you know, if we're talking about current affairs, the you know, there's been a lot of good things coming out of it. Obviously, a lot. It seems to, like you said, have become very political as of late, and it's kind of yeah. brought up a lot of old wounds. I know a lot of people say, like, oh yeah, we're going to go back to the eighties, and I think the you know, you remember in the eighties, there was nothing there to to build. Whereas here, you've got such a basis, as you've just said, about creative businesses. It's about maybe making sure that they are still there at the end because there could be a lot of good to come out of it. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. I, I don't really like the harking back to the eighties. Mm. It's it's very it's it's an easy thing to do, isn't it? You know, we, we have got a, a chip on our shoulder about Maggie Thatcher in, in our city, and right, rightly so. Um, but the comparisons to the eighties really that you know they're just they're just not they're not relevant it, it was a different city um it's been built up over the last 30 30 odd years to to the place it's at, it's at now it's a you know it's a massive destination for for tourists you know both mm. international and, and from the uk it wasn't that in the 80s at all that you know that that boy band in the 60s have, have helped out as well haven't they yeah sure. <laughs> had a lot of, a lot of eu help as well though a lot of eu help yeah, yeah hell of a lot of eu money um but it looks great now doesn't it you know the waterfront waterfront looks great the city isn't you know the city center especially looks amazing mm. um so yeah i think i think looking into the positives wise i think there'll be a lot of entrepreneurs that'll, that'll come mm. out of this you know we were just speaking earlier on weren't we about all the different you know, people sat at home yeah. who, who need to generate money. They're going to be creative, aren't they? Yeah. They're going to come up with, they're going to come up with new business ideas. Um, you know, I had, I had someone on the phone to me today um, who works in a in a restaurant and he's got this business idea which may or may not be a goer, but he just wanted some advice. And I think there's a lot of people um, in, in exactly that boat. Yeah, and, and Spanish flu wasn't in yeah. twenty, but no, a lot of things happened after that. Which almost boomed, or they were created. A lot of music was written, and a lot of uh, yeah. famous things composed. And I yeah. think that the same will happen here. I think it will. Yeah, I think um, an even more recent example would probably be Berlin, wouldn't it? After the wall fell, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. the you know that was 
1990s, that was 30 years ago. Mm. But still, you know, Berlin is still one of the most innovative cities in the yeah. in Europe, isn't it? You go there and um, there's, stu- there's just stuff going on all the time. It's an exciting place to be, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, completely different in areas as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and and obviously visibly, visibly, you can see, you know, you can see the effects of of that 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 era for them. So not you know obviously that that comparison is it only only slightly works in in this case. But I think that the fact that um, there will be the the, the fact that the, the the seismic change is happening will mean that a lot of stuff that would have happened in in three four five years will will will, will get fast forwarded because people will just think why not yeah, yeah this is the time to do it isn't it and a lot and, and i think you know similarly a lot of people will have been working in jobs where they, they've either been made redundant or 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 their job is at risk and those people will be thinking that little idea that i had um why don't i just give it a go yeah and you know when you started your business with uh with john that was just a little idea you had wasn't it you know yeah. you went, you'd been to school together had a little ch- had a few chats and I, I remember we went to see what's what's your favorite part about being in the sort of hospitality game then what's your favorite and your, and your most frustrating uh favorite people isn't it because you just you know the very nature of, of hospitality business is that you have lots and lots of staff you know if you look at the 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 percentage of, of weight, the percentage of turnover spent on wages in our industry compared to pretty much any other industry, it's absolutely through the roof. But what that does mean is you have a lot of people that, that you work with. Um, a lot of people who, you know, who, who, who are great at the job and provide such, such great experiences at Murray day after day, far better than I, I could ever do now. So, um, yeah, and then the people in, in, you know, obviously the people in the restaurant, the people who, you know, especially at times like this where the, you get an email to say, you got an email last week to say it's our first meal out since lockdown, like six, seven months yeah. ago. Um, first meal out, we weren't too sure if, we, if we'd be safe, but we felt really safe and had a lovely time and it was nice to have some escapism. Mm-hmm. That word keeps coming up when, when we, we get a lot of e- feedback emails after people have, have eaten and, this sort of escapism word comes yeah. up and it was nice to forget about the world and um, everyone says, you know, you've got your measures right mm-hmm. and um, and that's nice, isn't it? Okay, so, you know, it's, it's a it's a safe environment but at the end of the day, we're not in hospitality to create a safe environment. That's now, that's now a given, isn't it? It has to be a safe environment. Yeah. So that's a given but when someone says that it's made a difference to their, to their day, uh, we, we actually, when we announced that we were closing Bold Street, we got... Uh, yeah. So much there was such, such an outpour, outpouring of love, and someone who who emailed to say that they had the first date in Murray five years ago. They're now married. You know, you get that kind of stuff, and you think, well, you know, some people might say it's only food and drink, but actually, you know, it's experiences and memories. It's experiences and memories that people have created in those uh, in those four walls. So yeah. that's definitely my favourite part of it. Um, I would say, you know, least favourite when when we had. Just Bold Street. I used to, I used to chef in, I used to chef at lunchtime. I used to do a bit of paperwork in the afternoon, and then in the evening I used to host, um, and that was pretty much my life. So it was very much, you know, in service on the floor. Mm. Got to see everything, knew everyone, mm-hmm. and then you know, as you as you well know, as you open more and more um, sites, the, the the stuff that you have to do in the background, which is probably most of my week now, and. A lot of people sometimes from outside of the industry say, well, what do you actually, are you the chef? I say, oh, no, yeah. I'm not, I'm not the chef. What, you, what does your week look like? And yeah. 
so you can't really explain. Yeah, get it, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of meetings, aren't there? There's a lot of recently. There's been a lot of applying for grants, um, mm. applying for loans, doing cash flows. Mm. Um, you know, I like to I like to make sure that that our businesses run really well. So mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time on that stuff, but it's. It's not really the stuff that in, inspires me, but is but is important. It's so, essential. Yeah, but it's, no it's one not, sees it. A, a really good example is we changed payroll providers recently, and um, I'd spent all week literally on this on this payroll to make sure it was right. And then at the very last Thursday, five o'clock, we we're supposed to be paying everyone on Friday. Um, the new payroll provider hadn't provided the information. And, Cut a long story short. <laughs> I ended up up until like five to midnight paying everybody, and then the bank the bank then blocked the the account because I hadn't because I was paying everyone manually, manually uh, yeah. and I wasn't uh, hadn't they hadn't been used to me doing that, so they, they blocked the account. I had to get up at seven in the morning, get straight on the blower to them, um, got the account unblocked. They then blocked it again anyway. So a few people ended up getting paid late and. I apologize profusely to them and people should get paid on time like without a shadow of a doubt but what they don't see is the stuff that goes on in the background yeah. and I'm not you know, I don't want any pity and I don't want, any, <laughs> want anything like that but I suppose the point being there's there's so much stuff that that we do as business owners to make sure that the business runs well that'll that'll never be yeah. seen it, it's it's more like you know there's a lot of firefighting isn't there there's a lot of um stuff that comes up um on the daily yeah I think uh it's like in life though isn't it the the prep and the the work that makes things happen always happens in the background it's like a boxer you know his all his hard work and thing no one will ever see him getting up at five in the morning every single day yeah 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 but they'll see the results no the results are in in the ring when he's yeah you know it's all then but you know people don't see that unless you're Andy Ruiz yeah well (laughs) still managed to knock him out didn't you yeah there's a lot of work that goes into things behind the scenes isn't there yeah, yeah, and and you have to you have to really care. I think is, is is a good thing to say about that is to do all that stuff and to do it well and to continuously do it as well, right? To do it over, you know, you've been in business for ten and a half years. I've been in business for six and a half years. To continually do it, um, you have to care a lot, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and and the hospitality, it's it's you know, people are seeing it right now. It's got so many variables. It was already hard. It's a very hard industry to manage all these variables like you just said well people are seeing how hard it is and it's coming in the public eye quite a lot yeah you know what i mean and it's like wow you know it's kind of maybe hit home to a lot of people even even to the richie sunak into his face it's been i've never seen hospitality in the news so much yeah than it has been here we need to keep going on scan i think it's like an ecosystem isn't it and it's it's at the heart of quite a lot of things you know and well, yeah, but when you say ecosystem, you know, you've got the, you've got the cabbies, haven't you? You've yeah. got, um, you've even got the self-employed people. You've got the likes of the doorman. You've got, yeah, uh, sound techs. You've got all the, all the stuff that goes with the nighttime economy. And then you've mm. got the supply chain. And I think the fact that, that it, it's very topical right now, isn't it? And, you know, you know, you've been on multiple, uh, you know, multiple news channels. Uh, I have myself a lot of, a hell of a lot of people have because, you know, it's 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 a big news story right now, mm-hmm. isn't it? And I think if we look at positives, you know, because we have to take positive out of this, right? You can't change it. The, the pandemic's happened and it's yeah, still happening. Yeah. So what can we what can we look at that might be a positive change? I think one of the things maybe 
um, people may look at our industry and, and, and value it more. Yeah. You know, people know now that there's um, 3 million people directly employed. They know about the billions that we contribute towards the, the exchequer. They know that it's, it's not just, uh, you know, pubs and restaurants are not just nice places to go where people work, you know, part time while they're looking for a real job. It's, it's, yeah. you know, people are professionals. It's a career. Um, you know, in France, it, in mm. Spain, that's how it's viewed, isn't it? That people, waiters have got that respect and, and um, they value, they really, really value their venues and, and perhaps that may be a positive to come out of this. Yeah, I think a lot of people have in their head, oh, well, it's a second job for people and maybe even the more they see that in the press, like you're saying, mm. these people, oh, this is actually someone's career. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah, of course, if we can, yeah. do you know what I mean? And maybe that, maybe that you're right, yeah, that's probably a good thing to see. And although it's, not nice because it's a hardship happening. Mm. Perhaps, yeah. But perhaps it took it took that to to you know to open up the yeah to open people up and I suppose as well the the fact that the government have valued it. Excuse me, so much. Um, well, <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic, anyway, you know there was there was lots of grants, the furlough scheme. Um, I don't particularly feel like they value it very much right now, but at the beginning. That was that was certainly the impression that we got, and, and I think that 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 rubs off on on the general public as well. I think people take their cues from that, and and, and that's 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 what I just hope that the momentum can be carried, you know, certainly into certainly into next year. Um, you know, we're we're not out the woods, but by any stretch, especially in Liverpool. I mean, we're mm. you know we're in tier three. We've got you know you've got venues shut. I've got a restaurant shut. Um, it, yeah, certainly not. Certainly not. We're not about to turn any corners, are we? But as long as we can keep in the public eye, keep that message going. Mm-hmm. One thing you said before is about people only just coming out. I think sometimes when you get these messages across, or you're trying to speak about it, that maybe people think, "Oh, well, actually, you don't really take the virus seriously and stuff like that." I reckon there's a bit of that, which obviously I know that I, I, I don't believe that. So obviously, for yourself. It's probably quite apt to move on to the yeah. actually just you just, just covered been, yeah you've just been yeah, ill with it yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that because obviously I know you were actually pretty quite quite sick yeah it hit, hit me like a ton of bricks to be honest and um, I was probably of that that opinion that I'm you know I'm in my mid thirties but I'm physically fit I've been since since March I've started running a lot and I've got my five k time down so you know, like below 22 minutes and in, in pretty good nick. Um, little humble brag there. Um, <laughs> in pretty good nick. So I sort of thought, you know, cardiovascular wise, not bad. Um, not, not overweight, not this, not that. Don't really tick any of the boxes to be sick. So I, I kind of assumed that if it did get sick, it'd just be a little bit mild, a little bit like Donald Trump's, uh, dose of it. <laughs> yeah. Thought it'd be a little bit mild. And, and when I did get it, it floored me. I mean, I, my, the, the temperature that I had, you know, I didn't have any apparatus to take it, but it, I was, I was burning up. It felt like I was, you know, felt like there was a fire all around me. It felt like I was on fire. Um, every night I was going to bed and like, just sweating profusely. Um, and that wasn't even the worst part. That was sort of for three or four days. And then I had one day when I had no symptoms after three or four days only. I had no symptoms whatsoever. And I thought I'm, I'm back to, back to normal. And I felt that good that I was, I was sort of I felt a bit claustrophobic in the house. I was kicking a little footy around the kitchen, just, um, just chomping at the bed. I had lots of energy. 
I thought that was it. And then the next day I woke up and I had this headache that was, um, I've read about it since a lot of people with uh, COVID have this headache. Um, but it's essentially the brain swelling, right? Oh, so yeah, yeah. it's the worst headache I've ever had in my life. And I had it for three solid days, including during the night. You know, as soon as I got up, I'd have to get on the couch. Um, luckily, I live, I live with someone and my partner was great. Um, she obviously had to self-isolate with me. Um, luckily, she didn't get sick. So which is a good job because for those three days I, could, I didn't make myself a glass of water. I didn't make myself a cup of tea. I barely ate. Right, yeah. um, it felt like, you know, I just wanted to drill a hole in my head just to release a bit of pressure. And I was taking paracetamol. I was taking the maximum dose of paracetamol, maximum ibuprofen. I was taking cocodamol um, yeah. at night and it wasn't touching the sides. Wow. So, you know, I was, I was not in a good, not in a good way. It was, it was, it was very, very unpleasant. Um, and after I'd had it for about a week, and I think it was on the, fr- I also had this hacking cough and I was bringing up like brownie yeah. sort of red phlegm that would, that, that was, you know, obviously blood from, from, from coughing so much. Um, and then on the Friday, which was actually the 10 days was up. So I could, I could, I was allowed to leave the house, started to feel a little bit better. And then Saturday much better. And then by the Sunday, I was almost back to normal. And then Monday I went back to work. So it was almost like it, it, it came, hit me like a ton of bricks and then was, was gone. Yeah. And it was, and then I waited a couple of weeks because I've heard about long COVID, you know, all those days when I was, I was at home listening to people who eight months later, they still can't leave the house and, yeah. you know, the, the bed bound. And I was thinking, well, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a good way. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. maybe that's going to be me. You know, you, you obviously always, your mind tends to go to the worst case scenario, doesn't it? So I thought I'm going to give myself a couple of weeks before I go back out running. Um, but thankfully, you know, touch wood, I've been out for a good few runs since. This is only three weeks ago, right? So it's quite recent. Yeah. Been out for a good few runs back into the gym today and um, seem to be, you know, touch wood, no, no long-term damage. But, you know, it's changed my perspective big time on... In what way? Well, I think I feel a little bit on the outside of something now. I feel like the whole world is sort of losing its shit about something that, um, right. you know, maybe I could catch it again. You know, but the, all the evidence seems to suggest that people don't catch it twice. Okay. So I sort of feel like the whole world's losing its shit about something that I now have, I'm not really part of anymore, if that makes sense. So right. I, I still wear my mask and I still, you know, hands, face, face, all that. Um, <laughs> right. Still do everything that I should because I think it's respectful. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe, maybe I could still pass it on or catch it again you know the, 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 you don't get a you don't get a an immunity passport once you've had it right did it not say is it is not that it can it can wear off though so you could get it next year maybe like yeah, a, yeah. like a flu yeah like i don't i don't think it's a forever thing but i, I just think when i'm thinking about it specifically you know no. now yeah um but i'm i'm i'm, I'm giving some blood plasma in, in a few weeks um so you know, as it, I always good. try and turn a turn a negative into a positive, and if I can if I can give some plasma and help some other people, then then all the, all the better, really. Yeah, I think what we're getting at here is obviously I don't think, you know, so I know a few people think it's a hoax and all that, but I, you know, far from it, isn't it? But I think the big thing is, and I think most of us in agreement is how badly the whole thing is being handled. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's two things there, isn't there? I suppose that, I mean, the hoax thing is, is almost, um, it's almost laughable, isn't it? And especially, especially when you've, when you've actually had it. I mean, there's nothing else that it could have been. So no, no. I think what, you know, I saw Piers Morgan was, 
was part of the march in, in Liverpool last week. And, you know, there's some... there's some Pierce Morgan or Corbyn. Pierce Corbyn. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce Morgan wasn't Pierce, Liverpool. Pierce, Pierce Corbyn. Although he's, you know, he's actually gone up in a lot of people's estimations, yeah, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, um, true, yeah. I'm st- the jury's still out for me. But, he, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, you hack dead, dead people's uh, phones and, and that's it for me. For, He'll be for the life. next one going for Prime Minister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, but yeah, Piers um, Corbyn, Jerry's brother in, in, in Liverpool, you know, and I do have some some mm. some friends who, who are, you know, what we might call COVID sceptics. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I do, and I, 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 I try and be as open-minded as I can and, and the only thing that concerns me is that there seems to be, there seems to be a sort of a, sort of, um, a coming together of opinion between the far right and the far left, and that's when I think it gets a little bit mm. muddy. So you know, there's the there's the Quanon, uh, you know, movement. I think I've pronounced that right, but the Q sort of movement in um, that started in America, and they sort of infiltrated this country now, and when I see these marches and I think people are doing it for the right reasons. And I think that a lot of them are good people whose intentions are good, but it's, it's so far from being evidence-based and and a lot of people on these marches would consider themselves very open-minded, but actually Mm -hmm. they've, it's all, I don't want to use the word cult, but I'm going to, so (laughs) it's almost cultish. It's almost like, like blindly believing the opposite of what they're being told, you know, rather Mm -hmm. than questioning things. And I think there's a, you know, there's a lot. There's a there's a lot of blame at the government's door for this because you know the testing system is a shambles, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I think that there are a lot of false positives. And you know, you sent me a video the other day of um, oh, the guy, yeah. the guy who who didn't take his test. He put it straight into the uh, you know posted it straight back, and it came back positive. And when you see things like that, you know that it, it does make you sort of. If, if you had an agenda, you could easily take that as the whole thing's a load of shit yeah. and the government are making it up. I take that as um, COVID's definitely real, um, the testing system is a shambles and the two things are sort of, you know, not, not linked. But, um, you know, if you want to, if, if you are, if your starting sort of belief system is that you are anti-authority, um, you know, my mum was, my mum was a hippie and she brought me up you know, as a single mother from the age of five. So I'm, I'm not, um, good Reiki instructor. Good Reiki instructor. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, you can leave the, leave the link in your comments, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she, so, so I'm, I'm certainly no stranger to a uh, conspiracy theory or two and, and a distrust of authority. Um, I just think when, when that distrust becomes everything is the opposite of what you're told you, you're in, you're in dangerous ground. And I think, you know, to, 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 to sum up the, the sort of um, the protests, you know, the, the freedom protests, the anti-mass protests, I think, you know, show me some science, you know, it's, it's not science-based, it's, it's, it's opinion-based, it's, you know, mm. it's all hearsay, isn't it? And, and that, that's dangerous. I think the issue, though, is that, that from the other side, you're not getting, this is a problem, isn't it? It's like you're not getting the full story from either side, so that the government, and they're not showing the science properly. They're making decisions, especially we go back to hospitality, making absolutely catastrophic decisions like curfews on, you know, what all seems it like someone's just brought it up at the end of a meeting. Like, yeah. oh, hello, let's and, whack this in. And now the two the two embarrassed to back down, aren't yeah. they? And now, you know, now we're in this absolutely 
nut scenario where you're only allowed to go to um, a pub that serves food or a restaurant with people that you live with, um, but you still have to leave at 10 o'clock. So like, what, what, what exactly is that achieving now? It's not achieving anything. You know, it didn't anyway, but, um, you know, the, when I go for a meal, you know, you're the same. We like, like to go out late. Yeah. I don't like to sit in a restaurant till, you know, half 11, midnight, well, whatever time the kick is out, really, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 10 o'clock is just no time to be, um, to, to be, to be going home, really. It's, it's just, just not, you know. Clock watching as well, aren't you? Clock watching, yeah. And, and the, the, the staff are getting noticeably, you know, tetchy as, as it gets closer yeah. to 10 p.m. And understandably so. Um, Wow. So yeah, you are right. There, every every decision is not is certainly not based on science, and, and nor should it be in politics because the, you know, the, the 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 government have to weigh up economics, they have to weigh up health, they have to weigh up you know quite a lot of stuff that they're not doing a very good job at. But um, it shouldn't all be science based, I suppose is my point. But um, but it should certainly be justifiable. It should you know you need to be, even if you're not going to say this is science based, you need to say we're doing this for. You know, the economy or sports mm-hmm. ease the ease the hospital the, the the hospital um you know pressure yeah. whatever it may be but yeah that 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 sort of stuff doesn't help does it so it does um it does give a little bit of oxygen doesn't it to the to the sort of conspiracy theories obviously currently which is really related to i've seen like a lot of hospitality um businesses uh helping helping this scenario is obviously the 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 school meals situation, yeah, which um, obviously has been in the news from Marcus Rashford, you know, obviously put football aside for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I suppose what we can say is that, you know, neither of us yeah. support Man United, but we, we could both say that Marcus Rashford has done an amazing job, can't Absolutely, we? Absolutely, Fantastic. Yeah. And you don't support them, no? No, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, but totally. That's where you were kicking the ball around earlier, in you? Not yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so not happy. used not used to being tough. <laughs> Actually, funny enough, I was in I was in the house for for ten days and Everton won four games while I was in the flat. So it yeah, was, um, yeah, uncharted territory for for Everton. This <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get on to that in a minute. So I've seen a lot of people clubbing together over this, and what I find mad is they give him an a um an a they give him an MBA. And then just back down on what they've given me for it almost. So it's actually, you couldn't even write it. I mean, that's not strategy, is it? That yeah. is, they picked a fight with him, they lost, yeah. give him an MBA. <laughs> and then a month later, they picked another fight with him, lost, you know, they got beaten even, even worse this time to the point where, you know, they're, they're peddling out these, these ridiculous MPs. There was one in Devon and another one in Mansfield. And uh, I'm not even going to, you know, give them the names because. Don't think they deserve it, but they, they, you know, Devon MP said that it's great to see all these restaurants uh, are able to feed these school kids. Um, and it's great that they can, they can afford it. They're in a great position now, and, and I assume they won't want any more help off the government. And it's, it's crazy, man. It's so ignorant, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's just it's and that, that's an area of the country, Devon. It's going to be disproportionately affected by by um, you know by, by this because. Yeah. Hospitality and tourism is is it must be you know a massive part of Devon's um, Devon's economy. So you know, and then and then the 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 gentleman from Mansfield, you know, he he is he's he's continually attacked Rashford. He's he's not a very bright bloke no. to be honest, and and he he keeps getting the you know 
getting the, his, his eye wiped. But, you know, I saw him on news, news night last night and he was talking about not wanting to nationalize, uh, looking after, you know, not, not wanting to nationalize feeding children. And you're looking at him and you think that, that this isn't, you're not speaking as a human there. That's just an, that's just an ideology. He's, 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 you know, been completely brainwashed by this conservative ideology of, yeah. um, you know, of, not wanting to nationalise anything, but it's not nationalising anything, is it? It's it's feeding, you know. People. It's not like it's it's normal times either. You know, there's there's we we know that this virus has disproportionately affected people at the low end lower end of the income, um, uh, you know, the income band, and their children are going to be the ones who are who are who are most vulnerable when yeah. when when um, during half term. So, you know, it would have cost them twenty million quid. This wouldn't it? It's like you know to. to of all the hills to choose to die on for the for the conservatives to choose, you know, hungry children is does it's not a good look, is it? No, it's and not sp- a good look. And especially when you're going back to what you said before, what are the money they're wasting on the track and trace, which obviously everyone's seeing. This is a drop in the ocean to what's being. Well, yeah, given I mean, to twenty them. million quid is um, you know seven thousand quid a day they were paying these consultants. Yeah, you know, one of our. Some of them are in the same office as one of our mutual friends, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you need to have a word with them. But seven grand a day, you know, that's not, there's not many days, you know, seven grand's in 20 million. There's probably no. a couple, you know, a couple of years' salary for a couple of these consultants. It, it's, it's actually pocket money. So 7K, it's to get like one of the CEOs in a room for a day, it's 7,000 pounds. That's legit. Yeah. That's crazy. But then, you know, and the other thing about this school meal thing is, it's like quality of food people have been getting as well is, is substandard and and then you put you did the more you don't you know give accessible good food to these you know children so the more they're going to eat on the bread line which has no nutrition in any way yeah well there's also a massive issue here as well which is that um to do with food banks so food mm-hmm. banks um were were brought in as a temporary measure um you know after the last recession and that's all they should have ever been and now they've become part of you know part of the institution part of the and you know as much as they are needed and and i don't want to you know say i don't want to i'm not here to criticize food banks as much as they're needed they're not the answer because they don't provide nutritious meals yeah so 50 percent or so of the the food that the that families take over from food banks actually ends up in the bin because they, they they either don't use it or can't use it. So, right. you know, food banks are uh, um, have become a necessity, you know, a necessity and an essential thing, but they're not they're not necessarily the answer. You know, the, the more more dignifying is is giving giving people vouchers just to to go to the shop so they can get their own food. You know, and like you say, you know. Most, I think most restaurants in the in the country have offered to cook, you know, meals next week, which is great. Um, yeah. It is it is really good. Um, you know, we do just need to be careful about that, the dignified bit of it. You know, it's really important that, you know, it's not just a case of of feeding poor people. It's a case of those people need to need to feel dignity and um, and and that's what the, the 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 government are not allowing them to. Um, with with the way that they've they've dealt with this situation, they're actually um, you know chastising them and mm. and taking their taking their dignity away. So um, you know the council have stepped in, and again you know p- people criticise Liverpool Council a lot, but you know they've done a lot of good during the last few months. Um, mm. 
they've, they've got a voucher scheme going from, I think, Wednesday next week. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a very nuanced and complicated um, subject, isn't it? And, um, and one that's one where there's no, there's no, there's no direct answer to, but when you've got like 26,000 kids, I think live, live in food insecurity in, in Liverpool, um, in Manchester, I believe it's 75,000, you know, there's a hundred thousand kids between two cities and that, you know, how, how is this not more of a story? It is, is mm. it, it needs, it needs to be more of a story, doesn't it? Because if all, all the, uh, all the, information suggests that if a kid goes to school hungry they're not going to learn if you're in food insecurity when you're young you're not going to go on and um and achieve in your life or or maybe you will but but the the hot the the hurdles and the obstacles in your way are so are so great that it's going to be very very difficult for you to do so and that and obviously the people who are going to be you know in food insecurity are going to be people at the lower end of the the income spectrum so it just perpetuates people who are who, who who are poor staying poor doesn't it and and it and it means that children don't have don't have the same opportunities as each other no. and that's that's sad isn't it and it's sad to, you know I, I don't have kids but you've got kids and mm. you you know you'd want the best for them don't you and you know my nieces and nephews I want the best for them and when you mm. think that some that some kids might not be able to get that and um yeah, very difficult subject, really, isn't it? I think it's sadly, and um, you know, I, I hate talking about politics, but and and the divides and stuff. But sadly, I think it just shows that the divide in the country is like the almost the, the uneducatedness of different parts of the country about other parts of it. Do you get what yeah, I mean? So definitely, you know, why in two thousand twenty, in a peacetime, we're talking about almost like rationing with kids and. I think it's crazy that yeah. considering the amount of money we're talking about that's knocking around and getting spent, yeah. there's something fundamentally wrong. Like, yeah, because now you shouldn't forget that all this talk about austerity since 2008 that was that was a political and not a financial decision. Yeah, and obviously, it was it was well politically motivated. Should I say it was obviously a financial decision? You know, that was not a decision that they had to make, that, that this, this government had to make, but mm. it's, it comes from an ideology, doesn't it? And it's not one that I share. And, you know, as you, as you say, I mean, this, we're not going to harp on about politics too much. It, it's come right into the fore, hasn't it? Even people who are not involved in politics at all last week were heavily involved yeah. in, in, in the, the, the school meals. And I think it's the good thing about, about Rashford is that he's almost untouchable because he, he's not, he, He's not um, doesn't have any allegiance to any party. He's um, he's working class. He's he's rich. He's richer than most people in Parliament. So they can't accuse him of jealousy. Mm. Um, you know, he's black. He's he's a role model. He's yeah. he's he's fairly squeaky clean from what I can tell. So they literally can't throw anything at him. So right now he's um, you know he's the lead. He's he's actually showing more leadership than anyone else in the whole country right now, <laughs> yeah, which right. is. Completely bizarre, given that he's, uh, I don't know, old is he, 20, 21? He's like young, that. yeah, he's young. He's a young lad, um, you know, who just, it, it shows what can be done when, when um, mm. because there was a lot of energy around last week. A lot of people were, um, were angry, were upset, you know, were, yeah. wanted to do something. And that one one guy has ensured that millions of kids are going to get fed next week. So that's yeah. cool, isn't it? It's really... Yeah. It, it, and, the other thing it goes to show as well is that no matter when things seem really bad, mm. good things good things can 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 happen 
in a day and things can change very quickly and um that you know you asked me before how how I sort of deal with the stress of the last few months and mm. you know one thing I do every morning is as soon as I get up I, I meditate in the morning and the evening but as soon as I've done that I write three things that I'm grateful for and, and okay um my flat overlooks the um when I say overlooks, if I look through two houses, I can see the Welsh hills. So it's it's hardly like a, a view of the hills, but I can see them. So yeah, I'll, I'll write me write one of grateful for. Look, have a little look at, it and just take five ten minutes to myself before I start my day. And that's before I've looked. I don't look at any emails or WhatsApps or anything before I've done all these things, just to set myself up for the day, just to kind of give myself that um, that little bit of breathing space, I guess. Yeah, and I take that take that time in the morning to um, to to think about you know the things that I feel privileged for, the things that I'm that I feel lucky to have, um, and I think I also think about you know I've done a lot of been to a lot of countries in my life where people live in extreme poverty. You know, mm-hmm. I was in Jordan um, just just before lockdown. Actually, I got back on the Friday, the thirteenth of March, um, literally the week before lockdown. During that week, I'd been on the, the Jordan and Syrian border and I'd met a load of Syrian refugees who, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have anywhere to go back to. They had, there was one fella in particular who stays in my mind and he had a bullet hole that he showed me in his shoulder and he asked me how he can get to England and you're like, well, you know, they've got nowhere to live. They, haven't got, they can't go back to the country. They've got absolutely nothing and no, no prospect of anything. So I sort of try and cast my mind and my eyes back to to their situation and think, well, even if even if I lost my business tomorrow, even if I lost my flat tomorrow, even if you know, you know, X, Y, and Z happened tomorrow, I I, I still am in a privileged position in, in in my life. And I think if you can be thankful for what you have got, then I think it does it, it does help. And and I think you know, in in relating to the point we were talking about, I think it that allows you to be. I think that gives you the freedom to be positive and to think, and it's not just positivity without, you know, blind positivity. It's sort of like, well, things can change very quickly and they all, they, they do all the time. Yeah. So even, even when things are, are really, really um, not looking good and some weeks they, they are like that to try and keep that mindset of, well, you know, if this is as bad as it ever gets, then that's not too bad. Yeah. I think like the, I mean, I'd like to say I'll try and do something similar in a sense. But what that does is it gives you a chance to put things in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Where you actually take a moment to think about that. And if you think think about your experiences, like you just said, you know, there's so many things happening in the world now that just people are just getting cast to one side. Yeah. You know, when you think about, especially this country, uh, it's completely different. Yeah, and that that wealth that we that we live in, even when it doesn't feel like we do, um, is is massive, isn't it? A couple of podcasts before, there's a woman called Lara Varner on who does like a lot of work on sensory education with kids and stuff in kindergartens in like the Nordics. Like, what one thing that we've got wrong as well is like the young, almost like the syllabus of what kids get taught about food. It's just not you know look at. Murray, for example, the amount of things you you guys do with veg and stuff like that, these are things that really should be drilled into people at an early age of how they can use ingredients. 
Yeah, home economics is it's, not really a big part of the curriculum, mm. is it, when you're in school? No, but I it should be. It should definitely be. Yeah, I think there's, I think the education, yeah, the education system could be far better. I think financial education should be in there as well, yeah. but maybe that, that's maybe a conversation for a different day. But definitely with definitely food education. I think maybe like kindergartens, even at nurseries, and I know some do, but I think it should be in there where they go foraging, you know. They can look at where how the food grows. I mean, doing it with the girls, even just growing food, people they take interest. Yeah, how to identify a berry. And the more that they know where that food's grown from, the more they want to eat it. So that'll then come into the subconscious as they grow up. And then obviously, if you take things like Marcus Ratchford and stuff, he must. It'd be good to build on that because he'll know all about how nutrition can help you physique and yeah 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 you know there's a lot really far you could go really into this yeah 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 and you know if at his level at his elite level their meals are planned out for them you know he he won't plan a single meal for himself in the week will he and everything is is geared towards making him a you know sort of a machine almost but if you take that back Mm. you know to the other end of the spectrum if you don't eat the right food if you you know then you know, not just physically, but mentally, you, you're not going to be you're not going to be operating at a, 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 a high level. And you, you you know, I know what it's like. You know what it's like if you have a week or a few days, maybe when you have a couple of drinks or you you eat too many carbs, mm. you feel sluggish and slow. And that's only just from having like a small time of um, of maybe making a few wrong decisions with what you eat. But if you imagine mm. that over a, over a child over a childhood or over a lifetime, it's really gonna you know it's really gonna affect mentally yeah definitely um if you're talking more on the health angle on a personal level you probably feel more sluggish when you think because you're getting older yeah <laughs> but, right but do you feel that like you're more calmer now and you as you're getting older with things like that yeah definitely well i mean the, the sort of the path you know the 20s is is a long distant memory now yeah, yeah. <laughs> which you know we've you know you have your fun in your 20s don't you and then um, for me, the 30s has been about, you know, starting my business in my late 20s and then um, I don't think you can really run a, a decent business that turns over a, a decent mm. amount of money and still be, uh, and still and live a lifestyle that is not conducive to, um, you know, to waking up on a Monday and being sharp. <laughs> Uh, which yeah. is, which was not always the case. So yeah, I definitely as I get old, getting older, it's definitely definitely sort of feel feel more mellow. Um, probably get angry at less things. Although in the last week or two, perhaps not when it comes <laughs> to some of the things we've been talking about. But um, but yeah, definitely definitely more mellow. Feel you know, drink less now. Probably have a slower lifestyle. Really don't really feel the need to do as much all the time. Um, I mean, one thing I really love doing is, you know, is traveling. Like I said, I was just in yeah. Jordan recently. I was in Israel this time last year. That's what I'm sort of the one thing in my life that I'm, I'm probably missing the, or anticipate missing the most in the next six months to a year is traveling because mm-hmm. I don't really see a situation, even if I am allowed to get on a plane to go to a country. I, there's, there's too many barriers in the way. Quarantine when you get back, what will the country be like? Yeah. There's too many things that would stop me from, from, from doing that. You know, I was gonna, I was due to be in Lebanon actually, well, as you were. Um, yeah, I was, yeah. Separately, I, we, you know, I was gonna be there with one of my chefs and you were there for a conference, weren't you? Mm. That was back in 
June, I think. Yeah. yeah. Back in June, I, I, there was used to be in Lebanon, and then the situation in Lebanon now is, um, you know, not only have they had the the explosion, but also the you know the, the currency's been devalued that much now that the, the the political situation is so unstable that that is probably a country that perhaps I won't be able to get to now for a mm. few years. And um, I, you know, I always through the last six years of having a business. Whenever things are getting really stressed, I will just say to my partner, "Let's book something." Yeah, you know, let's even if it's in two months or three months, yeah. having things to look forward to, having things in the calendar, mm. um, you know, is really important. And it's actually been, you know, it's a proven benefit for every, for, for your med- mental health to have things to look forward to. Everyone, everyone needs that. You know, it's 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 a nice motivator to, mm. and you can't do that the minute can you can't plan the inability to make plans is. Um, is a big it makes people just feel like locked in locked in yeah. or that you're just existing to work and no, um, it's, it yeah. makes it difficult because it's not back in March I think we all had a time frame of like th- well three weeks at mm. first wasn't it but then it was like oh it might be three months and then you know they come on the telly and say it could be three to six months and now it's sort of like you know you can work it out for yourself can't you we need a vaccine Man mm. needs to come in, and that that's going to need six months to. They're going to need six months to get the most vulnerable people vaccinated. See, so when you look at the time frames now, you sort of like I'm sort of now thinking next year. Hopefully, it'll get a lot better. But really, 2022, realistically, is when things will be back to something that that, that looks like you know it used to look like. Yeah, and it, that can be quite difficult with those time frames. Yeah, that's <laughs> difficult to hear. But yeah. <laughs> where's going to be first on your list? You think? Yeah, so, I mean, it'd have to be Beirut because I wanted to yeah. go there for so long. So I went to, uh, I've never been to, even though the restaurant is heavily influenced by the Middle East, I've never been to the Middle East until last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Israel was incredible. Tel Aviv was, um, it was such a cool, vibrant, um, progressive, liberal city. Yeah. Really, really a lot of fun. Really, really very expensive as well. But... Um, a lot of fun. Really, really, really enjoyed the people there, and the, and the Jerusalem less so. Jerusalem was intense. Yeah, very interesting. Obviously, historically, mm. very interesting. But also, um, yeah, you could cut the tension with a knife. Yeah, but, um, yeah. And then Jordan was for a tr- was was a trek that I went on, and um, yeah, I just sort of I met a, f- a, few, a few people called Mohammed, but one one in particular was the was the uh, trek leader, and. Um, he, he taught me a lot about Jordan and he bought me a headscarf, which is a green one. And I said to you know, I asked, I thought, I said to him, I thought that red was the headscarf. And he said, no, the original one before, um, before the Brits came, um, before imperialism was actually a green one. And that's the, that's the neutral one. All right. Um, the red one was one that was brought in along with imperialism. So it, it was just learning, you know, the more I learn about the, the Middle East, the, the less I think feel like I know because it's such a complicated region. Yeah. Um, so I think going to, you know, I'd love to go to Syria. That would be amazing. Yeah. I'd love to go to um, to Yemen, but those countries are not going to be accessible for no. a long time. Some amazing food as well. And, and yeah, and I think culture-wise, culture you, know, you, sp- you speak to some of the old hippies, some of my mum's mates mm. who, who used to backpack um, around India and then they'd go up into Pakistan through yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you, th- and you think, and, and some of them have been into Iran and talk about how beautiful Iran was. So... Um, I'll probably talk about all the countries that are impossible to go to, but those are the ones <laughs> that intrigue me the most. Uh, Traveller just opens the 
opens your perspective as well, doesn't it? Especially yeah, to everything. Sure. And every sense, smell, sight, yeah, sound. Yeah. You know. well, I mean, on the senses, the first time I went to India, was, which was in 2012, and I, spent, I ended up spending three months there. But after I'd been there for two days, I had, almost, I had a sensation that was almost like shell shock. Oh, yeah. I, it, was, it was literally an attack on the senses. You know, got dropped off. Like five in the morning on this backpack strip called the Paharange in Delhi, and it's like, I mean, it really is a shit hole. Oh, you've got there was a there was a um, a man on the floor with a needle stuck into his arm. Uh, it looked like he'd had a heroin overdose. Um, it was cold as well when I got there. And there was someone with a fire, and then so you, and then there was incense. So the first thing as I got out of my cab, there was you know that's that scene was like yeah. you know you maybe that scene was was you can't really. Imagine anything like that, and then you get up the next day, it's boiling hot. Uh, everyone's trying to rip you off. Everyone's trying to pull you everywhere. You know, you can't. You haven't got any money out, and uh, I ended up at the, after the, that first day when I woke up, I went back to the room and I went with an ex girlfriend of mine, and she was she loved it. She was like, "Oh, this is amazing. This is what we've been talking about." And I was just like, I just got into myself. I was like, "What is?" <laughs> Gone into Michelle and then I just burst out crying. Oh, right. Over nothing at all. Burst out crying. Cried twice in three days, you know. And then let's just try somewhere else. And then we got out of Delhi and went to uh, Jaipur. Went and I did a tour of uh, around Rajasthan, uh, Udaipur and uh, Jasmine, a few other places. And, and something happened when I got, to, got there where I went from absolutely hating the place to absolutely loving it. And then once you once you open up a little bit you realize that the, the the whole experience of india is being open so i ended up staying there for three months and, and and going from from north to south to the andaman islands and all sorts of places in between and and, and actually didn't have didn't have one day after that where i thought um we cried i didn't have any more <laughs> did i, I ever play liverpool in the semi-final oh. <laughs> i didn't cry i just drank loads of fenny which was uh <laughs> Uh, a coconut liqueur they make in, in bathtubs and go. Oh, nice. Yeah, I can send you blind if you have too many, and uh, I, did, I tried my best. Yeah. <laughs> woke up with, woke up with uh, vision, vision the next day. Cool. Well, I, but, well, can't have you not on here without talking about football, can we? Well, so, yeah, we may as well touch on so it. So, obviously, yeah, me and Jay being mates for, obviously, most of our lives, and um, Jay used to... You said be a little bit more. You probably mellowed out, haven't you? In your, in your yeah, other days, <laughs> I think we should say that. I you have, didn't. Yeah. You wouldn't talk to Jay if uh, there was a derby win for a few days. Or when was the time when you came back from when Gerard scored at Goodison? And... Uh, yeah, that wasn't good, was it? That was a good goal. It was a great good. goal, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, he'd seen you flipping out and leaving. Yeah, I think you were crying then, and then I'm came not, back, and I'm then I'm sure going home. I'm not sure flew out the through my program. Yeah, man. I hadn't. Um, that was a lunchtime. I, I used to. I lived in Cumbria at that point. That's it. Yeah, and you'd come back on and the train. It, yeah, but it was a lunchtime kickoff, and I hadn't been to bed. Before. <laughs> <laughs> I came. I came straight down on. I think it was like the eight or nine o'clock train, maybe even earlier. And uh, I met him. I met someone on that train, actually Duncan, who I'm still mates with to this day. He's he was a blue. He used to live up there. Lives in Warrington now, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't used to take losing very badly, which <laughs> if you consider I've supported Everton <laughs> since yeah. nineteen eighty four, um, most of that time has been losing. But you know, I think we, you know, as most of a lot of my mates, especially in our circle of Reds, aren't they? There's only really well, that's, maybe it's no, split. It seems to be half and half. Split, isn't it? Split a little bit, but. Um, 
yeah, we've sort of learned now, haven't we, what to say and what to do. And we, we, we to be fair, we we were going to Derby's together until not that long ago, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. Five years ago. Well, the last one was that four. Four at Anfield when you had to leave. <laughs> yeah. No, I, but you know, it's it's. I think that's good, though, isn't it? That's how it should be. But yeah, because because actually, you know, you look at the people talk about the Rangers Celtic derby. Oh, it's the best one in the world. No, it's the most it's the most bile ridden, hateful <laughs> one in the world. Yeah. and that makes for entertainment. And then, you know, the classical. Well, that's a different city, so it doesn't count for me. Um, mm. It's got to be the same city, really, for me. So I think that I mean, football is like um, it's when you look at it in, in an abstract way. <laughs> and you realise how ridiculous it is, and, and with without without fans in the in the ground, yeah. you're you're able to actually do that. It's hard though being scouts; it's, it's in your blood, isn't it? Because it, it's yeah. part of your fabric from when you're born. Yeah, up. that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean. When I when I when I say that it's ridiculous, you know, still yeah. still during the during the match last week, you know, and and, and uh, you know as we as we talk tonight, Everton is still top of the league. So you know, I've got it. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, game and we've got as well, but. Um, yeah, I mean, in the city, it's it's so important, isn't it? It's part it's part of the fabric, it's part of the culture, isn't it? Yeah, of course um, it is. And you know, I'm, the first present I was given as a kid from from me uh, uncle Nicky was an Everton cushion that I've still got. Yeah. It was blue then; it's it's like purple now. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just part of it's part of family. It's part of um, it's it's just part of the culture, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, there's hardly anybody in Liverpool who's who's not into footy. No, it kind of gets questioned that, doesn't it? It does, what, it does what, a what? little bit. <laughs> what, what do you do then? What do you talk about? <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, that's always going to be the same. But, um, you know, finally, what kind of, what you'd like, to, what change you'd like to see? Change, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the the positive thing about, um, you know, even in chaos, there is there are, there, there is patterns. And I think to, to come out of this massive amount of chaos and to have um, a country that's, that's, that's united or a little bit more united because of, you know, the the, the fractures that happened after with, with the Brexit stuff last year um, was huge, and that became that wasn't even split on class lines, was it? That was split on leave or remain, and it, it became you know it's easy to forget now, but it, it was nasty, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. You yeah. know, and you had you had working class you know towns in the north who were all of a sudden you know being. They were voting leave for, for maybe the right reasons. Um, well, for the right reasons, definitely for the right reasons for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they were they were they were voting differently to people who lived in, you know, say in in big cities, Liverpool and Manchester, and that was causing um, that was causing fractures. You know, there was accusations of you know anyone who votes leave is thick, and anyone <laughs> who votes remain is mm-hmm. um, you know self righteous, blah blah. So I think all the all, all the harm that was caused then, um, perhaps, perhaps, you know, with the, what we've seen this week with the school meals, you know, bringing everyone together, perhaps uh, the, the other side of this, we'll have a more united country. I think, you know, we were talking about it earlier, the entrepreneurial spirit that will come out of this will, you know, mm-hmm. there'll be a load, there'll be a load of, of new businesses next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm absolutely sure of that new, you know, competition for us more like more than likely, mm-hmm. which would be good. Keep us on our toes. Um, but also in the creative industries as well. I think there'll be all sorts of people who, um, have been thinking about potentially leaving the job, setting something up and now thinking, well, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So, I think that's a that's a positive thing to um, to, to to look for. I think um, I think 
again that we touched on earlier the the the, the fact that hospitality may be recognised as a as a profession probably for the first time by the majority of people in this country. Mm. Um, I think there's perhaps been a little bit of a impression that restaurant owners and bar owners are, are all rich people in the past you know you're charging yeah. five quid for a pint there mate you know you're having a laugh and then you say well actually do you want to have a look at the other oh, yeah, and you know there's there's very few businesses that make massive amounts of you know most make single digit um mm. profits from from the businesses so perhaps there'll just be a little bit more you know respect maybe a strong word but a little bit more appreciation for 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 pubs, for cafes, restaurants, and yeah. bars, um, and also the people that work in them. You know, it's 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 yeah. a great it's a great profession. If you want to go far in the hospitality profession, you can and you can earn great money. And you know, it's it's the opportunities are there for the right people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a few people use hospitality as a part time um, to make ends meet while in while in uni. You know, I did that. You did that. A lot of people do do that. Um, and but those people are still passionate as well. Yeah, there's know? nothing wrong with that. No, at all. It's, it's great. It's that, and those people often, you know, they might do architecture degrees and end up, you know, GM of a restaurant or a bar, mm-hmm. you know, and and it, it's it, it's a it's a great career, and and perhaps it'll be a lot more appealing to to a lot more people next next year, especially hopefully chefs, because we all know how hard they are <laughs> to, to come by good chefs. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, don't know if that'll that'll change. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's a step too far. <laughs> right, I know. So, um, cool. All right. Well, um, thanks for uh, taking the time out. No worries. Yeah, it was good to good to chat. Yeah, and uh, hopefully next time we speak, Everton won't be top. Yeah, well, that would be joking. Now, nice one. All right. Cheers. See, see you soon. Bye bye. Hey, yo, this sound like a jam session, right? But like a like a jam session for rap. Y'all keep playing them instruments in the back just like that. This shit is funky, and I'ma just do what I do. Hey, yo, I live for the funk like the lords of the underground. Like Biggie Smalls, bring that machine gun funk around. Madman shouts to kill a crab, man, I love the sound. House music mixed with house of pain, make them jump around. You're now listening to the sounds of a renaissance. Well, y'all just moving in place just like a peloton. United like the colors of Benetton. My brother give me vibe with the black outside, just like the Pentagon. Let's get it on, it's a funky summer. I'm the brat in 94, funk the five plus the funky drummer. James Brown hopping out the Hummer. Like nice and smooth, funky hip-hop junkies and we will not recover. This project of funk the world like Craig. Shoot my shot at a stallion if she looked like Meg. Word the Tory, I should stay in y'all lanes. I bet this rap rearranged your whole energy. It's called Funk Shui. I got a funky, funky rhyme with a funky style. I got a funky, funky rhyme with a funky style. I got a funky, 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 funky style. I got a funky, 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 funky style. Mix a pop, fuck what you read, man. I'm the funk doctor spot. About to pull up to your spot when it's safe again. MacBook, Mike, and Adele, cause I'm a funky homo sapien. Uh, this is P Funk, mix with Warren G Funk. George Clinton mixed with Nate Dogg when the beat bump. Let's say RIP to the king of this shit. Know you singing them hooks in heaven, dropping singles with him. Regulating while you taking a sip. A thug passion, that's what happened when the Alize and Hennessy mix. Bumping Bruno Mars in the whip. Cause it's that uptown funk like street vendors up on 125th. I got a funky, funky.